Hello, and welcome to The Staffing Show, the only podcast that delivers tools, tips, and tactics from the staffing and recruiting industry's top executives and thought leaders. This episode is brought to you by Staffing Referrals, the only automated referral management platform chosen by smart staffing firms. Tired of wasting money on traditional job boards? Sick of reminding recruiters about promoting your referral program? Wish you could eliminate admin work spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews? That's where Staffing Referrals comes in. Imagine transforming your entire talent pool into digital recruiters on behalf of your company. Think about how happy you'll make your team by eliminating wasted time spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews. There's a reason that Staffing Referrals is one of the fastest growing software platforms in our industry. It's because staffing executives want to scale faster by automating recruiting processes. It's because with Staffing Referrals, you can actually see an ROI. And it's because our world is now more digital than ever and your candidates expect you to keep up. Don't get passed by the competition. Stop missing referrals and start recruiting smarter. Get staffing referrals and improve your tech stack today. To claim one free month, visit www.staffingreferrals.com show. That's staffingreferrals.com show. Hello, everyone. Thank you again for joining us for another episode of The Staffing Show. Uh, excited to be joined today with Alistair Neal of Pager. Alistair, thanks so much for being a guest today uh, to kick things off. Why don't you go ahead and give a little background on who you are and how you got into staffing? Yeah, so um, funny enough, I, I kind of got into staffing by accident. It's more staffing tech where I've spent the vast, vast majority of my career. Said uh, I, I went out with a buddy of mine and he showed up in a new car. And I said, how'd you get that new car? He's like, oh, you know, I joined this company called Broadbean. And so I said, uh, how about you give me an interview over there? I would also like uh, a new car. And so he, he got me in the door. And I discovered that I like the industry. I like what people are doing. It's nice to help people get jobs. And I especially like the technology side of things. So I spent a number of years at Broadbean working uh, first as just a regular sales guy, individual contributor. Then I moved into partnerships and, and managed the relationship Broadbean had between most of the ATSs and a number of job boards. Then after, after Broadbean was acquired by CareerBuilder, we decided to, uh, to launch Pager. So myself and a couple of the Broadbean folks uh, started off a new little software company. That's great. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who, who is Pager and uh, what challenges you're solving for staffing firms? Yeah. So Pager is a marketing, mostly marketing slash business development platform designed for staffing agencies to capitalize on the opportunity that social media provides. We all know that being active on social media and keeping your name top of mind is, is very valuable. And we try to help people do that in as efficient yet professional manner as possible. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I've actually uh, looked at Pager and heard a lot of good things about you guys in, in terms of uh, how you're helping to automate kind of the outreach for recruiters and marketers on social media. I've used a little bit of uh, being, being a digital marketer myself. I've, I've dug deeply into HubSpot uh, kind of publication, you know, the publishing and also used Buffer at different times. How does your guys' platform kind of differ or vary from, you know, like something like Buffer? Yeah. So our main differentiator from Buffer. Well, there's, there's a couple, but the biggest one is we have everything done as if the people have done it themselves. So if you're on LinkedIn and you reshare somebody else's status update, it does virtually nothing for your impression count for how many people are seeing your actual post. So everything we do in Pager is if the individual has posted it themselves, even if it's something that the marketing team created and wanted them to post, it all comes directly from the individual. And since 
people are trusted more than brands and people will generally have more followers than brands. It's a good way to easily amplify whatever marketing or content that you want to have out there. It's super cool because I, I think of uh, managed marketing for a lot of different startups at different stages. And uh, one of the, the challenges we always had was getting the sales team to share content and to share good content and to share meaningful content. And uh, I've actually had at different points in my career where we'd have like a Slack channel where it'd be like, share this and use one of these you know, components or this text to share it. And when you share it, make sure you tag this and link this. And we would really like spend a lot of time trying to get sales teams of different size organizations to share on LinkedIn because we understood the value but that effort and the scalability of that effort was quite limited. And it was always a challenge. And from what I understand, you guys are actually essentially enabling somebody, you know, a marketer or, uh, to distribute on behalf of the recruiters. Is that accurate? That, that is accurate. So going back to what you're just saying about, you have the Slack channel where you say, use this copy, tag this person, do this. That always ends up, being a salesperson myself, that used to end up on the to-do list, which never got to done. You know, <laughs> you're like, okay, Slack channel, I'll get to it. And then you call a candidate and, and you forget about it. So what we've done is reduce that process to let the marketers write the content and decide what content and when to post it and where to post it. And then for the salespeople, just give it a yes, either via text message or one click so that they don't have to go through all that, that effort you just mentioned. And that way it actually gets done and, and shared. Yeah. I, and I just to second that, uh, I, I would guess that maybe like at our best case, we got like 50% of the sales team to do it. And on average, it was like 10 to 20% of the sales team would actually take the action because it was on the to-do list and it wasn't top priority. So it's, it's a pretty cool thing that you're solving here. Yeah, you think about the ten percent. Those people would do it anyways. We're taking care of the ninety percent, where there's the rest. You know, yep. now you've got another ninety percent amplification to it. And I bet the ten percent people that that do it naturally are that also the the ten percent that perform the best. You know, the, the <laughs> most clients, most candidates, most placements. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, so with this, and kind of with you know where pagers uh, going, what what are some of the other key trends that you see happening in the staffing industry right now? You know, so it's talks to staffing agencies all day long. The biggest problem, and it's totally unrelated to Pager, and maybe I'm going to take stuff off track here. The biggest problem is staffing agencies can't hire more recruiters. <laughs> you know, most agencies out there are like, we need more recruiters to work at an agency, and they simply can't find them, which is funny since you are a staffing agency. You know, so <laughs> yeah. you'd be able to find them, but there's just not the just not the the candidates available out there. Yeah, no. So the uh, it's just funny is like I always think of uh, as a digital having a digital marketing agency. We always use the term you know you're supposed to eat your own dog food, use your own product. And I feel like most staffing firms aren't using recruiters to like they're not actually doing what they need to 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 bring people into their own team. Which it, this is a little bit even more of a segue, but a fun story is you, you do you know the term eat your own dog food? Have you heard that? I, I like drink your own Kool Aid. <laughs> drink your cool. Yeah. So the eat your own dog food is what I've heard in the startup space quite a bit. And the, uh, yeah. I finally, I was like, I need to know the foundation of this. And so I looked it up and the, apparently the person who came up with that saying was the CEO of a dog food company. And at their annual board meeting uh, would open up the dog food and take a bite and say, if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for your dogs. <laughs> so <laughs> not, not related to staffing at all, but just something, this is a nice uh, fun tidbit to share. So our, exactly. our team has decided that uh, drink, drink your own champagne or uh, drink your own Kool-Aid, <laughs> maybe a little bit more appetizing. So <laughs> absolutely. I'm going to switch to champagne now. That's great. Um, <laughs> but, but funny, when you mentioned that drink your own Kool-Aid thing. So if you go to my LinkedIn posting history and you scroll down it, I didn't write half of the stuff on there, but I've benefited from it you know, because I got the connections and I've, I've benefited from the, the efforts the marketing team is doing with literally zero effort. But to talk about your 
just kind of segue into having the robust social media profile that you want. You can't just be company content person, right? They're boring. It's like, we get it. You love where you work. You're just showing ads. You have to add some sort of other types of value, right? For the ultimate profile, I would say have some company content. Talk about yourself a little bit. Like get, let people get to know you in a professional setting and then throw in some jobs, right? So... Yeah, that's one of the challenges that I've always had. It was always good to like push out the company content, a webinar, you know, whatever, you know, maybe it's a a downloadable, you know, like a job report or something that might be useful for your audience. But how how do you, and I don't know if you guys have solved this or it's something I always struggle with as well, but like, how do you make it personalized or, you know, humanize it a little bit more when you're writing it on behalf of the team? Are you guys doing it on a one-to-one basis at all? Or is it all kind of company-wide? It can be done company-wide. It depends on the type of content. Your webinars and stuff are obviously company-wide. And then some things will be team-specific just to the sales team. Some things will be just for the executives. It really depends on the type of content who you want to send it to. You do have that, that capability to, to set it out there. On the, on the same front, the other, the other thing I always want to encourage people to do when they are sharing content is to put your own thoughts onto it. Because the other day, the vast majority of people aren't going to go to your webinar to see that post. You're, like, you're going to get 1,000 views. You're not going to have 1,000 webinar attendees. Yeah. But most of those people that view it will stop, they'll stop and they'll read your two sentences about it. And it's those impressions that like where they get to know you as an individual at the same time as, as seeing the company content. So I think that's the most important thing for people to do is actually, you, everybody can write two sentences, right? So anytime you're sharing something, put your own two cents on it. And so do you actually, uh, when, when the, the recruiter goes to share, they have the ability to add that and they're able to edit the text before they hit send or is, they, is that how that works? No, yeah, they, they absolutely do. They can just write their own update to go with whatever content goes on, and, and Pager makes it easy. But you know, that's that's probably the most important thing is to let people get to know you on a personal basis with whatever content you're sharing, right? Absolutely. And and what are um, I guess if you were to just go through like when we're talking a little bit about best practices with with social media recruiting, what other tips or tricks, anything else that you'd recommend in terms of best practices for what recruiters should be doing on social media these days? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're connected on LinkedIn. You've seen some of my posts, right? Yep. Can you tell me one off the top of your head? I, not off the top of my head. <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly that's what I'm getting at, right? But you see my posts, you see my name, and you get to know Pager over time. And a lot of people are worried about, oh, I'm going to write something stupid, or I'm going to have some content out there that's, that's uh, you know, not going to be right. And nobody remembers what you posted yesterday but they remember that you posted and they remember you were there. So it's not necessarily that you need to be the world's greatest white paper author to be out to be present. It's more showing up, you know, show up three times a week, five times a week. So that people do get to know you over time. And while they don't remember the specifics, they will remember you. That's actually, uh, I mean, that kind of goes back to like the psychological principle with familiarity. And it's like, if you, Essentially, I mean, just even, I mean, I don't know if you know that the, there was a study that was like, even seeing somebody's face who you don't like, if you see it repeatedly over time, you become more fond of it. <laughs> and it was like, there's like a fondness with familiarity and uh, brand awareness as well. So that's a, that's a great tip because I think a lot of times, even with myself, I find where I'm like, oh, I'm going to post something, but I don't have the perfect words for it. I'm going to wordsmith it five times and then you end up holding back when we're really just getting it out there, having that consistency is a meaningful thing to do. Yeah, was absolutely. Familiarity breeds, breeds trust. And it's not necessarily that that's going to lead to business, but when you do send somebody a cold email or you give them a cold call, they know your name, they know a little bit about you. They're far more likely to answer that email, even if it's a no, you know, but they're far more likely to at least give you a response just because they have had those impressions over time. Absolutely. And, and uh, what are some of the kind of the results or use cases, case studies that you've had with uh, customers using Pager or 
kind of just people that are kind of overhauling their social media outreach? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll kind of bring it to life. Just it's top of mind because it just happened. So I had a demo with a client. I'm sorry, with a, with a prospect. And I said, how did you hear about Pager? He goes, oh, I saw your CEO was on a, a webinar with somebody else. And so he didn't listen to the webinar. Uh, he didn't check it out. He just saw that name and brought up his curiosity. He clicked over to the Pager account, read a little bit about it. I was like, oh, great. This is, this is interesting. I'll actually reach out and schedule a demo because with today's sales environment, what's the first thing you do when somebody reaches out to you? You go to their webpage, right? You look at the company. Or what's the first thing you do when you see somebody's name and writes an interesting comment? You go look at their LinkedIn profile where you're going to learn them, like what they do and what problems they solve. So, you know, it, it, we have a bunch of like actual proper case studies on the website, but I was just was like, how'd you hear about it? I was like, oh, great. Darren just showed up on LinkedIn. We had a little webinar. Great. And because he posted about it, I got a demo out of it. Right. Oh, that's great. And and what do you think? I mean, there's all this talk. It's been for years about the you know content overload and how there's just too much out there. What are your thoughts on kind of where social media will look like? What it'll look like three to five years from now? How do you think it's going to change? So I think the algorithms are pretty good at showing the right content to the right people. Yeah. Especially since LinkedIn added the dwell the dwell time as one of the factors they take into take into account when determining how often to show you post and who to show to. So dwell time is pretty important. And with the over content bit the dwell time will help the best content rise to the top, like the content's getting interacted with. And that also goes back to what I was just saying about, it doesn't matter if you post something because A, nobody's going to remember tomorrow, and B, if it's not a great post, it'll be seen by fewer people than when you do have that goldmine that, that's just shown to a lot of people, right? So, you know, trial and error, the more you post, the more like, well, don't overpost, but the more you post, the more likely you're going to have a good post that will then get massive exposure. And so a couple of things to dig into there. So dwell time, I'm, I don't know if all of our audience is familiar with what that is or how that works. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so, so dwell time, when you're scrolling your feed, oftentimes you'll see the, the click read more button. They'll give you the first sentence and a half, two sentences. If somebody clicks read more, that's like massive positivity for dwell time. And the LinkedIn algorithms say, what a great post. Let's show this to more people. Or if you've got a video, they watch how long people watch your video to determine if it's quality video. Or if it's a picture and you just stop your, your feed and it sits on that section of the feed for a little bit, you're dwelling on that post. LinkedIn can start to be good, to, good content. And then again, they'll, they'll show it to more people. Yeah, you know, I think that's just something to think about. Uh, it's interesting because I, uh, I feel like it used to be like, keep your social media posts super short. And now it's like, well, you have to read more on LinkedIn. And, and it's great that they're actually looking at that to identify what content is good and what will kind of move up based off of the algorithm. How frequently, well, actually two things. So do you have a suggested length in terms of what people should be posting and also frequency in terms of posting as well? Do you have any recommendations or best practices on that front? Yeah, so the so length of the post, actually I wish I, I pull it because we did a bunch of research on this. Um, length of posts, short sentences don't do great. Uh, you always want to have people click the read more button. So have, make sure it's long enough at least to have the read more on there. Linking outside of LinkedIn on the posts, downgrade your post quality if people don't come back. So LinkedIn tracks you if you leave and they'll know if you come back. So if you're linking out and people don't come back to LinkedIn, LinkedIn's going to miss out on ad revenue. So they're going to show your post to fewer people, which mm. is why you've often seen people put, if you want to read more, link in the first comment, which doesn't downgrade your post. So you, you probably see that more and more. I'm just going to pause on that. So you're saying that... Okay. Instead of having a link off to the article, put a you know a summary of it, a picture, and then link the actual post to the article in the comments, and that link is actually viewing that as a more positive post. Correct. So you won't oh. be downgraded if you put the link in the in the comments. If video Square Video does best. You always want to have captions on your video. I need to drink my own Kool Aid on that one. None of my sales fails uh, have captions on there. Videos three to five minutes. Don't go over five minutes on your video. 
other bits. Emojis are great for whatever reason, but emojis do great. <laughs> I yeah. uh, personally, I'm like, emojis are for kids or teens or gen whatever. And I wasn't a fan of emojis until I figured out that emojis actually perform better on LinkedIn. So add some emojis to your post. It's uh, becoming less and less informal for, uh, for emoji use. I see that in email subject lines as well. Like starting a subject line, an email with an emoji can increase uh, conversion rate too. So it's a funny, funny thing. I wonder if it's a... Uh, one that will be lasting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be, it'll be faddish. I mean, they keep yeah. adding more emojis, so we'll see. And I've, I've started to adopt them. And you know, the other thing is not to go aside, but if I don't know sometimes what to write. So emojis are super handy. I saw a post that I liked. I didn't have any comment on it, so I just gave them some hand claps. Yeah. Speaking of that, LinkedIn gives posts with comments far more traction than posts that don't get comments on it. So if you got friends out there and you see their posts, if you want to support your colleague, your network, your, your buddy group, always comment on their posts because it's going to help them get more exposure. I just heard the same thing. I'd heard that LinkedIn's algorithm currently really favors. If you have a post with a lot of comments, that's one of the best things you can do. So we'd always coach you know, the sales teams or recruiters like, hey, go comment on this webinar, go you know, give, give it some legs. And that, that was a way to really kind of push things further on. 10x is your, your view count pretty, pretty quickly. Likes are good. Comments are great. So yeah. um, especially comments that drive further comments. Like if you get replies to your comment, then suddenly LinkedIn's like, oh, this is a conversation now. That's what we want to drive. And they're just going to give it that much more exposure. And what about the, the frequency of posting? Frequency of posts. I get this question a lot. Don't post more than twice a day. Always recommend four, four or five times a week. Um, we'll get you the, the maximum exposure. And if you post three times a week, you'll, reach 80, you'll be exposed to 80% of your network every month. And actually, you know, that's something else. I don't think that uh, people understand. I, I just hear from different agency owners I talk with and, and I'm confusion around it. And I actually don't know the details either, but the it's not like every post goes to everybody in your network, right? And especially because not everybody's showing up on the same day. They're not all reading their feed all the time. And I, and I think even if you could dig into the company posts and how the visibility of a company post versus, you know, an individual post and then what that looks like, I think that's something that can be super useful for those that are on the uh, listening in today. Yeah, so company posts don't get the same exposure as, as individual posts as, as people post. Um, they've downgraded that. But the flip side is company posts, uh, company pages don't get penalized for overposting. You can go wild on your company page. You want to post 20 times a day, great. You're not going to be punished. If you're an individual and you post 20 times a day, LinkedIn is going to look at you as a spammer and downgrade your post significantly. Huh. So I didn't know that. Yeah, so, so company pages go wild. Individual pages don't post more than twice a day. I didn't realize that they're actually downgrading or penalizing you for posting for over posting on a. On, I would never recommend that anybody post over twice a day, but I didn't know that there was actually a penalty that was going to enforced on that front. That's super interesting. Uh, other little tips while I'm thinking about it: three to ten hashtags. Don't over hashtag. It looks stupid, and the LinkedIn algorithms will punish you for over hashtagging. Yep. But you want to expand your network and reach more people. Look for the hashtags that have the best traction. Make sure they're relevant to your post, and then use those ones. And, and what about um, the use of images? I mean, you, one thing you mentioned on video, which I is highly, highly recommend, and I think it's been a best practice long enough that I'm aware, more aware of it, the, uh, when you post a video having the subtitles, because a lot of people, when they're kind of the why behind that, as you're scrolling through LinkedIn, you don't have the sound on, you're on your phone, you don't actually know what's being said unless you have the subtitles. So that's always been a, kind of a best practice, not always the easiest to implement. That, that said, I've... The tool that I've been using recently that has just been super has blown my mind is Capwing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's anything special, but it's an easy one and auto add subtitles, which is nice. But mm-hmm. yeah, any other recommendations, I guess, on kind of the format in terms of video and or images that you would use? Posts that do really well are slides. So if you've got a PDF 
and you want to put up three slides, that's going to perform very well for whatever reason. The algorithms, maybe it's the human control behind it, but like, hey, this is good content if it's like the first three pages of a, of a PDF. And that's also a good way to drive traffic is put up the first three pages of valuable information. And that's going to lead people to your, to your lead gen tool or whatever you're actually using that information for. So slides do very well. GIFs do, do pretty well. I'm clearly just picking your brain for all of the social media best practices that everybody needs to know, because I know this is an area that you're, you excel in and have a lot of knowledge around. The other thing that um, I'd be curious if you have stats on this, or, or if you don't, it's fine as well. But I've, I've always wondered how you see people who actually write the long form articles on LinkedIn. And I've actually had instances where past were for companies, we would do a blog post and also publish it on LinkedIn. And I'm just curious if you have any uh, uh, information around that also. Unfortunately, I don't because everything we do is based on individual status updates. So that's where we focused our research. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. But, but going back to the point, so documents perform the best. So if you have like three slides up there, that's the best. Content with less than three lines of text performs the worst. Text only and text with an image perform about the same. Video does just about as good as documents and a little bit better than text only. And external links are better than things that with less than three lines of text, but the worst performing out of all the other options I just mentioned. So that was a bit confusing way to say it. Short posts with less than three lines are the worst. Best is documents. Second best is video. Third best is text or text with an image. Uh, that's uh, insightful and valuable. Uh, I, I did not know about the, the how slides were performing. Do you have any um, examples, companies, people that you would recommend following or looking up on LinkedIn for somebody who's just doing this insanely well? Maybe your own profile? Should we just, should I recommend I mean, there? We, <laughs> you, you absolutely should. Because we, we do drink our own Kool-Aid. My videos, I, I don't drink my, I need to put captions on them. I was using Descript for a while. But you know what's interesting? What I discovered with the videos is I have a lot of guests on there and I get a, a thousand plus impressions and about 70 watches. But I've never had a complaint without the subtitles. I just, I'm thinking out loud, I could be doing so much better if I put the subtitles on there because there are a lot of people that, that could watch them. So go look at my page. I, I like to think I'm a good example. Smart Recruiters is an excellent client of ours. Smart Recruiters, we have a great case study with them where they've got 200 people in the system that they're just amplifying this content, driving massive amounts of traffic to the webinar. They had like 400% higher attendance than expected at their, uh, their most recent webinar. So they're, they're oh my a gosh. client. That's amazing. So yeah. And you what? know what it is? Because it's just the salespeople actually sharing the content. It's so simple. Yeah, it is really, it is so simple, but also it's, it is hard to get recruiters or sales teams to consistently share that content. And but when you think about the value of the amplification, if every one of your recruiters has 200 connections, or every other sales team has 200 to 400 connections, that's insane. Like, it, you know, you have, even if you have a 20 person team, that is a huge amplification of the message and just awareness as a whole. And it's really difficult to do without having some sort of tool to help you kind of enable that. Yeah. And actually, as you know, most people have more than like 2,000 to 4,000 connections, right? So if you got a 10-person team, you're able to get your message if you post three times a week in front of 40,000 people that are all relevant. Because you've always spent the time to connect with them anyways, yep. which means they're in your target market or your target candidate pool. That the actually, you want to keep yeah, I'm going to Google this one if you don't know it. I, I, but what is, do you know what the average connections is uh, per person on LinkedIn? Now I have no idea. It depends on industry, but it's somewhere around 3,000. Wow. That's wild. So I guess that makes sense for LinkedIn because they're, they are probably way above the average. I think when you look at like people who are, uh, I feel like in the medical field, the LinkedIn connections are, it's a way less important platform for them. So yeah. 
Awesome. If you're ever in the job market, what's the first thing you do? You go out and start connecting with recruiters. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's like yep. step one. And then three years later, you connect with them and you're like, oh, whoops, I forgot about this person. I'm going to go see what they're up to. There's a lot of like the curiosity factor. Any other, uh, I guess, social media or anything out beyond that that you see as kind of uh, trends, you know, or, or things that are going to have a big impact on the staffing industry? It'll be interesting to see what happens with the newer platforms, aka TikTok. People are starting to put staffing-related content on there. And I think it's one of those spots where you can be an early adopter and get that, you know, that head start over everybody else. Because right now TikTok's just a bunch of like teens dancing or I've never I've never been on there, but I think there's a lot of opportunity because you're starting to I see it on the aggregators on Reddit and places where people are like, oh, look at this person talking about the staffing industry on TikTok. So I think there's a huge opportunity to jump onto the next big social media platform before everybody else does. Yeah, I feel like early adopters of any new channel to market, any new social media platform can end up getting quite the follower base without the lift that it will take later on. I mean, a few years from now, it'll be overwhelmed, it'll be hard. But right now, probably a decent opportunity. I know of a couple of healthcare staffing firms that were actually out there. I think uh, Total Med was kind of making a big approach into it. And there's some others that I think are actually like taking some effort and, and getting people internally to manage the TikTok account and try to make it hum- humanized. I have a little, little bit of a personal share is I thought I got on TikTok. So I'm like, I need to know what's going on in social media and thought I'm just going to take a look at it and never use it again. And uh, it has, the algorithm has learned what I like and it is just solid comedy, insightful like business tips and a lot of puppies <laughs> and, and cats and just, you know, it's, it's become quite the uh, entertainment factor. Not, not something I ever imagined would be, but uh, there can, there's actually some decent content out there. If you, if it takes a little bit for the algorithm to kind of learn what, what you like, but it's a good one. <laughs> so nice. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's good for the brain. I don't know if it's a good habit to have, but it definitely can uh, pass 20 minutes pretty easily. So excellent. Excellent. So check it out. You know, I also enjoy puppies and comedy. So <laughs> it's, it's some good, there's some good stuff. There's some good uh, philosophical to posts as well. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, not, not quite what I expected. Uh, you might have to get through the dancing phase of the algorithm to get there, though. So just as <laughs> so. Uh, All right. Look forward to it because I, I got to drink my own Kool-Aid and, and get on the TikTok. So <laughs> yeah, there stuff. you go. Next up, you're going to have a uh, massive TikTok following. We'll be, we'll be watching you there. So, All right. So kind of jumping into, I, actually, is there anything else kind of on the, the more business side of things or kind of in the you know, trends or challenges that you see going on in the staffing industry that you'd like to discuss? No, it's just I just hope that the it's going the way it is, right? Everybody's kind of in a good business growth position where their biggest problem is is growing, right? So I hope that continues. It's pretty wonderful. It's it's kind of amazing. It's like it's finding candidates, finding recruiters to get more candidates. <laughs> like yep. it's like if we if we can just solve those two things and uh, and whoever solves them the best, uh, it's uh, it's definitely a, a fast paced time right now in the staffing industry, and it does feel like things are. Compared to a year ago, things feel really good. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. So jumping into just some kind of more of a fun questions, a little bit of a, a little more personal. So in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Getting up early. Getting up early has made like wonderful changes in my life, right? It used to be for a while there, I was like, oh, get to work on time, just on time in the naked time. Now I'm popping up at six in the morning. It's, it's just... It's just a trend you got to get through. You just got to force yourself to start doing it. Getting up early. I I'm gonna, I hate to sound like the guy that's like, oh, you know, you get more done before everybody else wakes up, but it really is the case. <laughs> and then it's just been so, I don't know, it's just improved the quality of life dramatically. 
And the other thing was you get up early and you have something you don't want to do. That's the best time to do it. Just whatever it is you're dreading from the night before, just get up at six and, and get it done. Oh, so they eat the frog or, you know, yeah, eat the, eat the frog first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. funny, like drink, drink your own frog aid there, uh, but it works. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. uh, I, uh, I, I think my twenties were the last minute and now I'm like setting my alarm for four forty-five. I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> but then, but man, the amount of work you can get done before 8am, it feels so good. <laughs> so yep, it does. Uh, and then, then it enables you to relax a little bit more in the evenings rather than like, oh, I got to do this, you know, a little bit. So I'll, big, that's the biggest, biggest change that's been positive. So a second one that I second that in a strong way. What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? Could be an investment of money, time, energy, etc. Tell you the worst investment I made was friggin' crypto coin. <laughs> 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 that one's top of mind right now. <laughs> well, so it sounds like you bought in like January. <laughs> no, I, I bought like a month ago and it went uh, up a little bit. And then I was like, oh, it's going up. I'll buy some more. And then it just plummeted. Yeah. Best investment. I bought a Honda Element nine years ago. That's the best investment I've made. That car is trusty. It's great. <laughs> it's uh, people people crap all over. They're like, it looks like a bread van, and uh, but it's just been the best. I don't know. It's just been the best car, and I I love that car. That's the best. That, is that is that that what you're asking? Because that's my best I mean, investment. Yeah, I love it. That's great. So, and then what are bad recommendations you hear in your profession or area of expertise on a regular basis? There's there's too much automation that people misuse. So if people are telling you to automate everything, that is, that, that is, it, I don't think that's good advice. So for a while there, somebody said, hey, there's this tool on LinkedIn, it'll send LinkedIn automated messages. Everybody can sniff out a LinkedIn automated message a, a mile away. I'm talking about in the chat and, or, or sending a sales message directly after, after a connection. There was a period I was like, oh, I'm just going to send this first connection. Thanks for connecting. Buy my product. Worst possible thing you can do. So connect with people, connect left and right. I've, in the last two years, I've just connected with people. And then that's it. I won't message you again unless it's something super relevant. But by showing up on posting things, it's like sales adjacent. So don't, don't use any LinkedIn uh, messaging automation tools. It, 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 people smell them out way and people don't like it. And unfortunately, that, that amount of spam is downgrading the quality messages people send. It's unreal how many, I, don't, I can barely keep up with my LinkedIn messages. It's like, and it's all just junk. It's just like, it's just, just so, so much junk in there on a daily basis. I, I, good, good call on that. What is the book or books that you've given the most as a gift and why? Michael Crichton wrote a, is that how you say his last name? Jurassic Park guy, Michael Crichton? I, I'm not, I'm not do, I, I think so. I'm gonna I think it's Crichton. He wrote a book called Travels, which... I don't know. It's, it's amazing because first of all, he's clearly a genius. He is the doctor. It was kind of his life experiences. And that book talks about where he traveled and the, the experiences he had and his perspective on it. And it's just such a good read. And he's such an interesting individual. It's, it's I don't know, highly recommended to everybody. I'm writing that down for myself. That sounds great. It is, it is so good. I mean, he, yeah, I won't ramble on it, but it's, it's absolutely worth a reread. Awesome. Awesome. And then uh, how has a failure or a parent, parent failure set you up for later success? It's funny you mentioned this. I have an entire podcast called, or video series called Fails and Prevails, where everybody comes on and tells a fail story and a prevail story. So if you go to my page and look at episode number 50, I'm going to dodge this question and tell you to go look at episode number 50 of Fails and Prevails to get my fail story. All right. I'll check it out after this. <laughs> That's, how's that for a, for a dodge? <laughs> great. And then lastly, uh, what is an unusual habit or absurd thing that you love? Big Rick and Morty fan. I don't know if Rick and Morty counts as absurd, but huge Rick and Morty fan. Uh, did you watch the latest episode Sunday? I, I did. 
So I was there Sunday night, 9 p.m. Was, yep. <laughs> 9 p.m. It's, it's so good. It's such a good show. So I don't know. If, it's probably mainstream now, but uh, yeah, that's, that's one of the best shows on TV. <laughs> I lo- love that answer. I've, I've gotten into that recently. My, my girlfriend is a huge Rick and Morty fan. And so we've gotten, that's become a, a regular, I've, I've gone through all the seasons in the last year. So. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'm new oh, to geez. it. Yeah. I'm new to it. it. I'm new to it. But yeah, that's, that's great. Cool. Is there anything you'd actually like to add in kind of closing comments, thoughts for our audience? No, I just, you know, if you made it this far in the podcast, uh, listen to me, appreciate your time. And uh, if you want to reach out and chat about pager or anything recruitment marketing related, happy to, uh, to connect. Yeah. And also I, I highly recommend you check out pager. If you're a staffing agency looking to expand your social reach, expand your brand awareness, check out pager. Uh, also the fails and prevails. We call it. Yeah, what do you, what do you, when are you coming on the, when are you coming on the show? <laughs> you, you name the date, I'll be there. So let's, right. uh, let's get something on the books for sure. But uh, uh, Neil, uh, or I'll start with Neil with us today. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed your conversation. And uh, I hope you have a good one. Thanks, David. Pleasure to be here and appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Staffing Show. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at staffinghub.com to never miss an episode. Until next time. <laughs>